Hello, I'm Maya Brown, and this is Stories from the Brink. This podcast is about giving voice to personal stories of overcoming challenges in life with grace and humor. Because stories bring us together, and together we all win. Today's episode is about a challenge related to identity and race. Um, we're going to be speaking with my friend Shana Budo, who is a Grammy award-winning producer and advisor, and also a former investment banker. Shane grew up in England, and he is half Australian and half Nigerian. Shane, thank you for joining the conversation today. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's fantastic seeing you. It's, it's been, I haven't seen your face for such a long time. I know, it's so, crazy. Yeah, so to, to be invited is, is great and it's a chance to see your face though. Oh, very sweet. You must have been very well raised by your mom. Yes, I think so. I mean, she'd, she'd probably disagree, but... Uh, she would? <laughs> yeah. I think her, she, prefers the other, she prefers the other son, but... but um, really? But, uh, she's, he's much nicer. So you grew up, you grew up in England, right? In London. That's right. I grew, up, I grew up in West London, yeah. So um grew up to a Nigerian father, an Australian mother. Um, and then I, I moved to the States in 2006. So as you right. can tell from my accent. Well, that accent, you know, that, that goes into the category with your walking and like other things you want to maintain, I think. That's an asset. Apparently so. I think it's disarming. And um, also, I think for Brits, uh, we've learned that it adds about 10 points of IQ if you're speaking to an American. So, so I, I haven't lost it. So yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So when you came, when you came to the States in 2006, was that for the investment banking job that you yes, were Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. uh, I managed to finagle a job uh, at a boutique investment bank. Um, Fancy. Yeah. Uh, doing, doing equity sales. So. Um, what is that? What is equity sales? It's a, it's a dying industry whereby, okay. um, whereby uh, sales guys uh, will uh, speak to investment um, managers. So like fund managers, okay. people who manage hedge funds, mutual okay. funds, um, and they'll advise them about which shares and companies they should be buying or selling. Uh, and that information is gleaned both from news, but also from analysts who work within the bank uh, and they're, they're known as equity research. And they'll publish a, a report and say, we think you should all be buying Apple shares. And then okay. I'll get on the phone and I'll, I'll tell investors, I'll tell these, these, these fund managers that this is our call of the day. So, yeah. So why would these fund managers believe you? Why, why some guy calls up and says you should buy Apple. Why should they listen to you? You know what? That's a really hard question that I don't think I could answer because it's a good question. I, I, uh, genuinely, I think some, some of the investment banks will have an edge and certain things. So if I'm a portfolio manager, I maybe look at a hundred stocks and I own 20. Um, right. But if I have the resources of an investment bank, they'll have a hundred and a hundred or 200 analysts each looking at 20 stocks. So okay. all of a sudden they give me a much larger um, bouquet of options in terms of where to invest. Okay. So, so that's the reason why it's just a question of resource. Right. So you have like, you have all the research, all the information, You've kind of gone through all that and sifted yeah. out the best offering, and that's what you're bringing to these guys, right? That's right. We we work okay. as a filter, and so and okay. the value that a salesperson would add is that they um, they might have a certain 
um, take on the markets that's slightly different to what the 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 um, the, the, the research team thinks. But also, right. I'm speaking to 50 people a day, so I'm also understanding what other people are doing as well. So that right. kind of forms um, a little bit my thoughts on the market too, which might be different to those of the bank. So, and that's where the value is. It's like very interesting. You know, in, in back, especially the old days, is you know, can you give me added value, which would be something that that my analyst maybe doesn't know. Um, mm-hmm. Can you take me out partying? Because I'm a bit of a nerd. I've never spoken to a woman before. There's an interesting thing. So, okay. So you call these guys, mostly guys, let's be honest. You call these guys. They Have they met you they before? Do. Or they haven't met you before? Or is it a mix? Um, you, you usually, if you're the new guy, so if you're right. the new guy on the account, they would, right. um, you'd go and have a cup of coffee or tea, in my case, at their offices. Right. Uh, and you, you'd go and say, listen, um, I'm the new guy covering you, um, or let's go for lunch. Uh, okay. And these are our top ideas. You know, if you're interested, right. I'd love to strike up a relationship with you and we can, you know, we can speak daily on the phone or I'll call you when I think there's something interesting to take a look at. Oh, and by the way, you know, which companies are you looking at in particular? I can keep a close eye on those. So, yeah. What kind of experience did you have when you would show up to these lunches and teas? <laughs> in general, I think people were, were at the beginning, uh, when I started in London, uh, impolite. Brits can be quite impolite. So You were impolite? Um, what do you mean? So, so they can be quite, the word is brusque, right? Yes. So, it's a, so you show up as a, as a 23-year-old and you're speaking to a 40-year-old and he's like, what, what value is this child going to give me, okay? Like, he's obviously really junior, so I'm not that important <laughs> to the bank, okay? So, so that's kind of the... Uh, wow, so they would get angry. Sometimes well, people would get angry, okay? Yeah, they'd be like, who is, this, who is this kid? He has no idea. And, they, and then they'd like, they'd try to, um, you know, they'd ask you difficult questions that you can't answer. And it's so you, you right. kind of either BS or you go, I don't know the answer. Uh, and so you that was cry. Often, Sometimes you cry. You, you know what, just internally, yeah. you know, okay. so... Uh, <laughs> So, so it's a form of hazing almost of young people. Um, and so they're, they're just not as polite as Americans. And so um, I did that for three years and then I did the same in Paris for three years. And then uh, I got hired by this bank in the US and, and definitely like it was easier because I had, had six years of experience. And They kind of knew was, who you were. You'd made a reputation yeah. for yourself, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. You just, you know, a bit of, you know, I think the, the key is, is to be a bit chubby. So they think you've been in it for longer than you are. Or, or you're receding chubby? or you've got a bit of, yeah, a little bit chubby. You know, I have a friend okay, of mine Okay, well, who, that, did, that didn't work for you. You weren't chubby. <laughs> no. So that name. didn't help. <laughs> so I, have, I have a friend of mine who is this investment banker. So um, slightly different role within a bank. Right. And he was young, but he looked older. And he said that what I do is, you know, I got fat and I would actually have my belly hang over. Yeah, my belt, on purpose. And I'd lie back and my shirt would be, you know, stretched and the buttons would be stretched. And he said, people would listen to him. <laughs> there are funny cues within banking. So I'll give you an example. Um, especially in the UK, you can't, you're, you're supposed to wear black shoes, for instance. Um, and and there's a, they're kind of unwritten codes, but you can only wear like a white shirt, uh, a blue shirt or a pink shirt. So no, no pockets. No pockets. No Correct. pockets no, on the shirt. No pockets yes, on the shirt. It's very important. Um, if you wear yes. a you wear a suit, obviously, and on the blazer, you're supposed to unbutton on the sleeve one of the buttons to show that it's actually there's a real 
uh, eyelets in your uh, on your buttons with buttonholes. Um, so yeah, there there are like small kind of um, cues as to class. But did they give you like some kind of book when you start working as a banker? Did they give you like a you know? Here's how you're supposed to dress. No, this is manual. This is pre-internet, like, you... so you just figure it out, and they'll they'll, they'll hound you out, out of the office if you're wearing the wrong kind of garb. So, um, or you see other people being mocked, and you're like, okay, I definitely won't wear those brown shoes I just bought. I don't yeah. want to do. And you're also that. not supposed to wear a belt yeah. with your with your suit because your suit is supposed to be tailored, so you don't need a belt. So, um, so youngsters who can't afford tailored suits might wear a belt, but the idea is that you know when you get older, you're not supposed to wear um, belts. These are all cues that you have to figure out on the fly, basically. Yeah. Fascinating. That is fascinating cultural study about fashion and banking in England. That is super cool. Do you think you had a different experience because you're a person of color in that um, environment? Definitely. So in, in my first job, um, I worked for a very large investment bank in London and um, on a trading floor that was the size of several football fields, there, there was just one black person, uh, uh, one other black person. Uh, and so, um, and this is kind of my life, by the way, because I went to what we call a, in America a private school. So I was used to being surrounded by white people, but right. um, for the first time, you are surrounded by much older white people who um, are really confident because you have to be uh, a bit of an extrovert mm -hmm. to work on a trading floor. And so, um, I felt that maybe I was a bit of a token uh, and people, you know, were interested in, you know, in my background, but um, it was also very difficult because there was no one to, to turn to um, and there was no kind of mentorship. So um, it was tricky. You know, I, I had a... Did you, wait, did you feel that the other people had mentors? The other, like, people yes. in your analysts? Yeah. Were you an, when you were start, an analyst class? Analyst. Yeah. So how many of you were there? There were maybe instance, 200 like across this whole bank. However, within equities, there were okay. maybe in London, maybe 40. Um, and so, um, but within that whole okay. year, the whole intake, I, there was, I was the only one, yeah. by the way. Um, but there's this, there's this misconception wow. of banks that I think a lot of people think the bankers are, are, are really talented and they deserve to be there. But the truth is that um, I've always come across people within banking who um, actually they got there because their uncle already works there or they have a friend who works there or someone from their church go. It's yeah, the real know, world. But the beautiful the thing world. is that banks yeah. do really say that our, our people are our biggest asset and it's like, they are, but you, you basically, they're all the same people. A, a, a newbie wouldn't understand necessarily. So they went to the same schools. So it was right. tricky. Well, there's, okay, so uh, there's finance language, right? There's finance language, there's English private school language, and then there's a whole class there is, thing going on. There is, on, and so right? within an investment bank, so within investment banks, and it's the same in America as it is in the UK, but um, in general, the salespeople yeah. went to the really good schools uh, and are fairly well-spoken and they're yeah. polished and they're the people that are kind of the, the tip of the sword, right? When they, when they go because they talk to clients. Because they talk and to then clients. You have, um, right. And then you have people okay. who be the, the traders. Um, and, and often they didn't right. actually have uh, an education beyond high school. Um, and they've been hired in. It's right. pretty changed nowadays. But in the past, you didn't need a degree. If you, if you had a friend, you know, and you, were, you had the hustle and I guess swag. 
you could be a trader right. and so right. they were complete there was a big polar polarization between traders and sales guys for instance so um so yeah okay. I, I found myself with a bunch of very um well-polished salespeople who uh, in the uk they all went hunting on the weekend it was, it was like, i don't know why but they, wait didn't go, you didn't right? go didn't get you didn't go hunting so what? uh you didn't have the right boots. I, I mean, what's going on? Place on, uh, yeah, on a hunt. So uh, didn't have gone hunting. Why? Me, so, Why? Uh, Why? Um, it's just, uh, I, you know, honestly. Why would you have built that place in a hunt? I am very, very athletic. Say, but you're, you're I don't understand. Horse, and that's not my forte. So there's that. Yeah, so, right. Um, okay. So just in hmm. terms of survival, I thought it was best not to not to go. Not that I was ever invited, and also it seems like quite a, a, a big uh, use of energy to just to to hunt for a partridge. So that's going to be full of buckshot that you can't even eat anyway. So so yeah, so I I didn't really I didn't really fit in, and um, and yet you uh, did really well. I so did my first job. Well, actually, if I'm completely honest, my first job went horribly because I I encountered a. I encountered Excellent. a bullet, um, and you know, I was like 21, 22. I had no idea. What, I'll be yeah. frank; I, I didn't really know what I was doing. But I think that's kind of normal within finance when you're that age. Nobody knows what they're yeah, doing but, at but 21. I had, like, some kind yeah. of godfather like watching my back, and so um, you know, I had a pretty tough time in my first job. I was I was bullied by by a boss who had a, a bee in his bonnet, um, and just just. A, what kind of I'd say, I'd say like a, I'll say this it took several experiences and a lot of time to realize right. that race may have been a factor okay. in my treatment at the time what did you think it was I when you were younger maybe he what saw me as um you know what I actually secretly thought it was racism but I, I, I didn't want to think it was racism because if you because I think if why you, not why didn't you, you want to think that of someone that? in a position of power is racist then your whole world comes right. crashing down because you expect that people who are older are more mature uh, and maybe they are not going to be racist and they're not going to be bullies. Um, but in actual fact, I was right. singled out. I had nowhere to turn to. Um, you know, I, there were no black, um, there was one black person on the whole trading floor and he was probably going through something similar. Um, there was no, um, was he friendly to you at all, or no? Nod, you know, but you know, he's got his own battles yeah. to fight. Being one of, he wasn't going to put his no, neck on the line for you. Completely reasonable because yeah. it's it's a dog eat dog world in yeah. finance. Yeah, so, he didn't know you. Yeah, so yeah, I just been, know. you know, yeah. I was just just like you know, kind of um, fairly you know wet behind the ears graduate and. I would go to meetings and the boss would you know I, he'd say what do you think about the markets and I'd say whatever and he'd say. Well, that was a complete waste, a complete waste of our time, and so he put me down. And yeah, are you and, serious? Yeah, yeah. And he I, would and, say you know, that. Uh, I'm I'm light enough that I could blush, but he didn't care. And so um, there would be this, um, you know, this kind of uh, weird situation where people knew that he was bullying me. He was the the head of head of uh, trading, so he was an important guy. Right. Um, and I'll just finesse that the traders are in general more working class, but the bosses always like went to a good school, That's right? True. So. So he was, you know, kind right, of upper class, right. and um, and um, I felt just, you know, both stupid and ashamed. Uh, and I thought, obviously, you know, this is this. I don't know what I can do to kind of make this guy like me. And um, and then all of a sudden, like he managed to 
all the goodwill I built up with all the other bosses um, just disappeared. And this is because he was a head of trading. He was incredibly important within the bank and he was a, a revenue generator. And if you, you, as long as you're making money for the bank, right. you can do what you want. You know, it's like, you know, so, so that's what happened. Right. And I was, I guess, sacrificed uh, and, and they, they, they let me go, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I, and I, I thought that was it. You know, I thought, you know, well, I have resilience. I think he was the one with the problem, not me. And I, I eventually got another job. But it wasn't until years later, like okay. I didn't talk about this to people because I felt so much shame. And eventually I spoke to people who'd worked at this bank and I learned that a friend of mine who worked for that exact same team, a Pakistani British guy, they used to call him the shoe bomber, you know, terrorist. That's not yeah, cool. Yeah, he would be called, so they wouldn't call him by his name basically. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, and then I'm I realized, so I thought, well, you know, all of a sudden I thought, wait a second, well, maybe there is a bit of racism here. So, um, and there were just several things that happened within that bank and the fact that there are still like, no black people in that bank tell me that, that they have an issue. So, yeah. Well, okay. First of all, I just want to say, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I wish that we'd been friends then and we could have giggled about it and gone out and had a drink or something. Um, I'm... Just, yeah, I think, I think, thanks. I think the, the, yeah. the thing for me was that it happened to me so young and you, when you're that age, you just expect, yeah. you kind of defer to like older people, um, particularly ones that are successful and you expect them to take you under their wing uh, as opposed to kind of ditch you. Right. Uh, and so, and, and the whole right. organization kind of just turned into me once the, the biggest revenue generator, you know, had kind of made his decision. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was, Right. Yeah, that it was, was kind of it was it. pretty terrible, yeah. to be honest. Um, uh, but again, like I, I didn't have wow. the, um, uh, I guess the uh, social intelligence to understand that what was happening to me wasn't happening to white people or white graduates who were, um, you know, who who were not as good as I was, right? And so, well, because you weren't you weren't actually talking yeah. to them that much. Yeah, so how exactly. would you know, so, right? you were kind of isolated. So that's part of it too, is that you, you didn't know what was happening to them. And so then you assume whatever was happening to you. Yeah, that's correct. Fault, yeah, you just think that, well, obviously I'm stupid. Like yeah. uh, I'm not as smart as these people um, or yeah. I'm not as good as these people. Um, and it takes years for you to realize, and it's called imposter syndrome, right? And we all have it. Yes. What imposter is, what syndrome, is, imposter is, syndrome? Um, is basically when uh, you're in a room and then a teacher says, or you know, a boss says, does everyone does everyone understand that? And everyone goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in reality, they have no idea what the guy just told them, and they're just going to be and just and just wait. Okay. So, um, and so we okay. all think we're imposters, okay. uh, and that never really goes okay. away. Um, but as you get more experienced, I realized, kind of, as I moved to New York and I had a relatively successful career that actually, um, you know, I, I thought I had had a crazy amount of imposter syndrome. And in fact, no, I wasn't stupid. I was actually as smart as anybody else. I just come across, uh, um, you know, a, a, uh, a flawed person who obviously, let's face it, a black guy either like stole his girlfriend or beat him up. Right. Uh, and I was in the, and I was the only, and I was the one kind of way of like somehow, you know, undoing that pain that he'd felt. So, well, I'm glad we've uncovered that great yeah. mystery. Um, but okay, so you're 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 in your twenties. You get yeah. fired from your job. How how do you go from there to where you ended up? By the time I met you in New York, when you were kind of running the show, um, 
How did you kind of pick yourself um, up? It was really difficult, place. you know. Um, I I I just felt yeah. very isolated after that happened. It was my first job, and I felt shame as well because yeah. you know, I, I, all these people that had grown up with me were really proud of me, and then it's like it's like oh, right. I'm sure it happens to sports stars who who they make it and then they get injured or they do something stupid, and and, and so I, right. I just felt completely, right. to be honest, shame. Right, you know. So I was the only person who got. Did yeah, you talk to your mom about I didn't, it? I didn't know how to kind of enunciate it. You know, I spoke to her and she's like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll find something else. But I thought I'd, you know, I'd let her down. I'd let my friends down and let myself down. And I was dating a girl and I was like, what are her parents going to think? You know, so there were all these things oh, going no. through my mind, but I think the one word is shame. Right. And it's, um, and it's, a uh, it's yeah. very um, guttural. So it's not something is, it's something that you can't really, um, yeah it's not rational yeah, something you can't really suppress rational. easily yeah. as well and so I felt that for a long time and then mm -hmm. I kind of I had to I got a job through a, an agency backdoor into an investment bank which got me some more experience but it was I was a temp so I wasn't really like part of, of the of the system that would have got me promoted um and eventually I, I got a right. I caught a lucky break because I spoke fluent French I I found a boutique bank that was looking for a French speaking uh, a charming French speaker and I, I fit the bill I think Why I didn't, didn't give, give up because I thought that I had something to prove to the, the first bank. Um, and so, you know, I thought, okay. you know what, I'm going to persevere. And then I actually had to move to Paris. Like the only way I could find a job was I had to move to Paris. So I got a job in... Not so bad. You know, we're talking about, Not so bad. Know, uh, like perseverance. I had to, I had to you know, obviously uh, there's a whole new culture working with the French. But luckily I, I, I spoke fluent French. Um, and then I had a... Um, I detailed this in an article that I wrote for the Financial Times uh, in 2020, which was, I, um, you know, when you're yes. a sales guy, you kind of become friends with these clients. And so then you, you end up like, because you, you, you talk to someone every day on the phone, right? After a while, you're like, right. I, just sort of, I don't just okay. talk about stocks. Like, you know, what are you doing this weekend? You know, uh, you know um, should right. we go for a drink? You know, should we go and sneak out for a cheeky, right. a cheeky beer? So, um you know, this is this so this is quite common. When I moved to Paris, um, I ended up uh, befriending. Like we came quite close with a with a, a client who worked for a hedge fund. And this guy was, he was right. your uh, kind of British archetype, like a double-barreled name. He was from a very well-known landed family. Um, did he, he, go to did, he went to a school I mean, like I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> Although double yeah, barrel Barrow, and Eaton are kind of a given, yeah. but but so so yeah. so he but, you know, he was yeah. from, from what we would call a a, a fairly well known family, yeah. um, and he was a gentleman thug. Right. He was great fun to be around because whilst he was posh, he, he loved to go and party and and it was great fun. Yeah. yeah, and so he'd come to visit uh, mm -hmm. Paris, and we'd go and meet these companies, and but not before we got completely smashed the night before, and then the next day we'd go like you know hung over to these meetings with CEOs, and I was like 26, 27, hanging out with this hedge fund guy who loves to party. I love to party. It was Everything's great. Everything's great. And then it was a it's a bromance. It was a it's great. cross channel bromance, and. Um, we That's got them so wonderful. well and I remember one night we went out we got completely smashed in uh, in, in like the center of Paris and then you know I'm sticking him in a cab and he's like send get him right. to take me to a brothel so I'm like okay uh uh tell the taxi driver apparently he wants to go here 
but before so so then we're standing outside on the Champs Elysees and and um, and we're like kind of you know staring into each other's eyes because I I'm like man I'm not joining you obviously I better go go back uh, but we've got like this 9 a.m. meeting tomorrow so like don't be out too late and uh, please, please, yeah, um, please show up, up. Like, yes um, right. you know yeah. bring a toothbrush. And then he goes, and then so he kind of, you know, so we're, I'm kind of you know, standing there and the taxi's waiting and then he looks at me and he's got this kind of, this kind of solemn glassy look in his eye and he goes, you're right for a nigger. And I was like, and I, and I, I was, yeah. And I was, how do I say kind of, I was taken aback obviously by, by the comment. And, um, but I didn't know what to do because it's really awkward, right? That's kind of, a very awkward moment. A um, very big yeah, understatement. So, yeah. Um, and I kind of went, okay. And then um, I, you know, I've obviously like, I've relived that experience a thousand times. What, yeah. You were what, in shock. Yeah. You were so probably so in shock. I was like, what do I yeah. say? You know, I don't know. So he, yeah, he got in his cab and, uh, you know, he left, he left. I went, I went my way. He went his way. And then, you know, the question is, what do I say the following day? You know, like the, the and then, I said nothing. nothing. I pretended it never yeah. happened, right? Um, because that's exactly. what you do. Because you know, um, unfortunately, I'm the person yeah. who felt shame, but it should have been him. And I'm sure that you right. know. So you still at that point. So you, when you were younger, you yeah. felt shame, and then so then you've advanced, yeah. and now you're in a more important position. But still, it's this this thing. No matter what, still, if that yeah, gets thrown because, at you, you feel... Yeah, because you want to be considered an equal, right? right. And, and so, you know, I, I came from fairly, right. a okay. fairly humble background to break into Wall Street, which was, or to break right. into the city, which is already right. huge for, for my family. Deal. And you That's have, when deal. you're like the, the kind of yeah. breadwinner for the family, there's a whole kind of um, trickle-down, like, network of people that rely on you, pressure. right? Both in terms of financially, mm -hmm. but also just in terms of hope, right? And so... Um, you know, and, right. but these people don't know this, right? The guy that, you know, this guy that I'm no. partying with doesn't know that, he doesn't know. Uh, that people are relying on no. me. And so um, you think no. that you're an equal. Probably he doesn't no, he care doesn't, yeah. either. And if so, he does, he obviously yeah. like the, yeah. the truth comes out, you know, after, after a few drinks. And so um, I've come right. relatively far to a point where, you know, I've done okay for myself. It was really difficult for right. me. So, um, what you were saying yeah. just before, I think, was really interesting. You were talking about having a whole community, yeah, kind of depending on you, not just in a financial way, but That's in right. terms of hope. yeah. So, so, so I have, I mean? have, um, you know, um, a whole family in Nigeria, for instance. That uh, they're they're right. really proud that they're, you know, they're. Um, their nephew or their cousin is working on yeah. in an investment bank. It's a big deal, right? They rely on me um, to, to some extent financially, but they're really proud of me. Um, yeah. You know, uh, a grandmother in Australia yeah. that's really proud that her son is, her grandson is in, is is working in investment banking. And so you have um, this, and it just yeah. gives, you know, and friends, you know, from back in the day. So you have a lot of people that know where you came from originally and are really proud of you. And then you have some right. guy who's never had to really like work hard, who um, was given everything he asked for and more. Um, and then somehow he has more value than you do and he can still punch down. Right. So, and he, in the case of my first boss, has the ability to to completely derail your career without realizing how Horrible. that may have um, 
you know, or secondary and tertiary effects on, on people that are in some respect relying on me. And so that, yeah, so exactly. that was difficult. Um, and I, it's- That's a lot of pressure, it's pressure for you too. It's pressure, That's but it's, pressure. I think above all, it's, it's the case that people don't know your journey and just assume that because yeah. you are relatively successful, that you've made it this far into a bank, that you have really thick skin and you're obviously charming and and there's no need to you know you're, you're, you're relatively smart and you probably got here because you knew someone and and for my in my case it's never been you know the idea that um that, i got you know right. um parachuted into a job so so that's kind of been the story and yeah um you know thankfully yeah. i found in new york it's slightly different because i have because i'm british there was this like the way that people yeah. perceived me was slightly different uh, in a positive way. Yeah. So, and so I found that, you know, the kind of the, the 22 year old who got fired in London was now a relatively confident guy in New York who, um, it wasn't a question of reinvention. It was just a question of geography, really. It was the same person. I, I, right. had, more, I had more confidence because I'd been doing a job for longer, but it was the same guy. But in New York, you're saying it's a different place. That's right, because there's less classism right? involved. So, um, you know, in New York, for sure, okay. there was classes at work in, in the UK, and that's inextricably linked with um, wealth and race. Um, and in the US, right. there isn't right. so much. Uh, there's one less thing to battle, which is class. So you don't have that to deal with so much. It still exists, but it's not uh, as strong as it is in, in the UK. And so... Um, I, in okay. the US, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed like working on Wall Street until I, I got hired by what we call a large, like a, a bulge bracket investment bank. Um, and I arrived at this bank and there were over 400 people on the trading floor, which is just this huge, famous trading floor. And there were um, there were eight black people. If you include me, um, of those eight black people, four were assistants, right? So, um, so just two percent right, of, so. of the whole population was black, but then you you had to then pass that out, and then there were like four, four of them were actually revenue generators. So, so it's one percent, yeah. and so um, again, like mm -hmm. I didn't really, I kind of I'm used to like working with these ratios, um, you know. But right. I think you know it's really weird but i guess the equivalent is like ask you know invite a white person to a to a party in the bronx or you know a barbershop and they they can then they should understand what it feels like to be like literally the only the only like white face in a room full of, of black faces or, or which has been the story of my life in reverse but when you're used to it you just kind of like yeah. you're like okay this is, this the is, base, is like how this it is the baseline the baseline yeah. is i'm the minority um and right. i'm never going to change it right. so just accept it and just persevere right and so um you know right. I, I really enjoyed up until the point where i got hired for this very big investment bank i was really enjoying my finance career um and so all of a sudden i was a uh, you know a small fish in a very large in, a, in an ocean let's be honest um and so i eventually was uh, i was hired into a team that was um, an all-female team all white women there was there was one black assistant um and so it was um you know everything was fine i actually was thriving i was doing really well uh, and then i reached a point where i was doing too well uh and so um there what was a point where well? I was doing, I was making more money for the firm than my boss was. Uh, and 
Uh, and I thought that was supposed to be a good thing because at the end of the day, everything is kind of bonuses are supposed to be socialized within finance. They're not really, as a as a hint. Losses are socialized, but not but not uh, but, but but not when you do well. Yeah. And so um, you know, I was doing incredibly well uh, and and beating all yeah. the targets that they'd had for me. The first year I beat my targets, and now in the second year, and I'm right. already beating my targets. And so um, you know, this boss. I don't know if it, it's really hard to put my finger on it, but you know, um, it may have been a little bit of jealousy. Um, but all of a sudden, started trying to trying to find holes in my game, and so she would say things like, uh, "Oh, um, it looks like you took more vacation than you were supposed to." Um, and I said, "No, I didn't." You know, uh, "Oh, oh, I'll go." She would go through my expenses, the tooth comb, trying to trip me up. And so, and she wasn't doing this to the other people in the team, right? And so um, I, I think she, she was worried that I might eventually, you know, end up being the boss of this team. But, they, but so, so um, this is how they kind of, you know, this is how much, if a bank wants to show you love mm -hmm. or not show you love, they, you can see it financially through your bonus. And so I, I got completely like, you right. know, I got pretty much nothing for my bonus. So I, I, you know, it was 10, 11 years in, I got the kind of bonus I got when I was like a year in, right? So. Which was a message That's to say, crazy. we don't want you to work here. And so I, I went to my boss's boss to yeah. complain. And he said, look, there's not much we can do about it. Like you can, you know, you can stay, right? Uh, and try and work back and get back into her good graces. Or you can walk away and I'll, I'll help you leave. And so um, I decided to leave. Mm. I was like, I'm not, this is, this is a, I'm getting better at my job. I'm making more money for the firm, but you're paying me less. I'm leaving. Now here's the thing. By the time sense. I left, um, yeah. I, I left. Um, there were seven black people and minus me six. Okay, so now, so this is this is work this out. We've gone from eight black people down to down to six. So we've lost twenty five percent of the black. Now imagine if there were a hundred women on that trading floor and one day twenty five left. Right, there'd be you'd make the front yeah, page of the FT or the Wall Street Journal. When I left, like no one even noticed. There was no exit interview. There was no, they didn't even have a diversity officer. And this is, this is a, 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 a fairly important investment yeah. bank. This so is the, the old world. world. Yeah, I know, I, know yeah. I gather that things have changed no, now, but, yeah. um, you know, and again, I, again, I, I didn't go, oh, that's racist. I said, you know what? It is what it is. Like, she obviously didn't like me. But then like, this George right. Floyd, situation happened and I, I reached out to some of to my old assistant who's black and then I said do you yeah. think that this boss was racist and she said yes I said I always had this inkling I always had this sneaking feeling she was racist but I couldn't quite ever say the words and I, I didn't want I didn't want to say it either right. and, and she said yeah this is this this boss used to make me babysit her children for her and, I, and she already has her own kids who were like young like this which they were like like a toddler what? and she would uh yeah she was invited to a party once um like a work party and then my assistant was brought in not as a guest or as an equal but in a domestic capacity okay. now how do you say no wow. to your boss who is decides your bonus you, you don't and so um, so she she complained can. about this yeah. like you, you know she complained to bosses and bosses like there's nothing we can do about it and then the um, George Floyd thing happened and she made complaints to HR and, and, it, and it went nowhere. She, 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 she can't, I mean, it's, it's you know, you, you, it's hard to leave like once you've been there that long. So yeah, 
Right, because you're making a lot no, of money. No, she's and not making that much money, but she's, you know, and, yeah. at the end of the day, like there's the benefits and the security. Sure, security, yeah. unfortunately, in America, right. you know, security. Yeah, it benefits. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, and yeah. I, I'm not, you know, just on the record, I'm, I, I don't want to say things are racist because, again, there's this whole um, psychology behind it. Is yeah. if you say something's racist, then it means, wait, the world's not fair. And I, I am the type of person who's very, um, optimistic and I don't want the world to be that way um, yeah. because then you actually have to then you have to then kind of reconsider everything in life and so I, for years I, I just you know I assumed well she's obviously salty and just not the nicest person uh, and the structure around her is going to protect her because she's been there for longer now fast forward to 2021 if this happened like she'd be out of a job simple as that and so uh, and I would have been paid what I was worth and so you know things had changed a lot but um you know the experience put me off of finance basically and in you know the bank lost a right. a, a a significant revenue generator who could have you know potentially done very well for the bank and and, and for, for himself yeah. but, uh, but I decided to walk away and so yeah wow well, that's amazing. I mean, first of all, it's amazing that you survived all these experiences and are such a positive, optimistic person who's always up to have fun. You always have a good joke. You're always up for a laugh. You know, always want to go on an adventure. Yeah. That's kind any of how excuse I think to escape you. work. <laughs> and, um, so to escape the, the, the humdrum boredom and depression of working for, for an investment bank. Uh, but also, <laughs> as, you, as you know, <laughs> Um, humor um, is often one of the ways that you it's it's a coping mechanism obviously um, humor okay. is uh, helpful in terms of making yourself likable and, and there's a, a in society puts a huge premium on likability and these are things I've kind of figured out like no one gave me a, a guidebook you know to being a a mixed race yeah. man in London Paris and New York but you know if you if you want to be able to sink or swim, you you you've got to kind of you figure it out very quickly. So there's no, there are no rules and there's no like framework. I just had to figure it out, and, and that's what happened. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've always had, um, uh, I, I guess, a positive view of of life. Um, and you know, leaving finance was actually a, a great thing for me because I was surrounded by people who were you know who were happy to be. Um, they were happy to commute two hours from New Jersey every day so they could live in a big house that they could never actually enjoy. Um, and so I was like, right. you do you. I'm right. going to go backpacking around Asia for a year. You know, so. Um, uh, right, right. So when you left, what did you, what did you do oh, so, when you left banking? So I, what did you um, do? I went to, uh, I quit New York and I, I decided to, to travel through Asia. Right. Um, so I went to Asia for a year. And then I lived, I'd always wanted to live in, in Brazil. So I, I spoke Portuguese. So I moved to, to Rio for two years. Um, yeah. And I had, right. you know, I had fun there. And, and again, like everywhere I go, there's this weird, you know, you go to Asia and you're a, you're a foreigner. So you're just lumped in with everyone else, which is, is, is really nice. I think the reason why I like Asia so much is that I'm just a, I'm just a, a gringo. I'm not like, they don't, they don't have the, um, energy or time to pass you into different flavors of gringo yeah they don't care care. they don't care which is great because then i can just you can just be you Mm -hmm. so i've actually always felt really at home in Mm -hmm. asia because i haven't had to deal with um Mm -hmm. incredibly complex 
social structures that uh, uh, create friction in my life, right? So I'm just lumped in with every other person. It doesn't matter if I'm like rich or poor, right. or I'm just a gringo, I'm just a foreigner, a farang, whatever. Uh, and so that's been that. So I've always enjoyed Asia. And then um, I moved to, to, to Rio. Um, and that was a whole new experience of being- Totally different. Uh, it was an interesting, I loved Rio. I loved Brazilians and, um, you know, I was living in Ipanema and Leblanc, which are the kind of the, the um, I guess they're the kind of the snooty parts of Rio. Uh, posh, yeah, posh. They're, they're just really mm -hmm. nice, if I'm completely honest. Um, and then, um, yeah. but, I, I, but then I was, a, I was, you know, I was a gringo for sure there. Um, but then, you know, but I also looked like a, uh, like a local. So I just remember like looking for apartments and, you know, you'd come across the, the doorman would be like, oh, he's not, you know, I'd have to, I'd actually, I speak fluent Portuguese and, and back then I didn't have a, I had a really good uh, local accent. So looking for apartments, you would ring the doorbell and the doorman would pick up and he, he would think I was there for deliveries or right. something, or, you know, I kind of pick up, I kind of pick up your package, sir. And I go, uh, and I go, you pizza. Any, I'd ask you to no, have apartments available, but I do it in a more of a gringo accent. So they, they knew I wasn't like some kind of local who was just like trying to do a hustle, which is what they were probably thinking. And so, um, but why would they think that? Why would they think that oh, in Brazil? So, What's going so, on in Brazil? Um, that... and I, I don't mean to talk badly of, of Brazil because I, I love I love Brazil, but um, yeah. it's it's uh, very racially um, separate, and so. Um, but it's really mixed, right? I mean, like yeah. in the same family in Brazil, you'll see people who look like they're yeah. from Sweden and you'll see people who look like they're from the Caribbean and like, isn't it all just one big happy That's, that's, that's correct on the postcard, that's what it is. So, um, you know, and as on he say in like Brazil, everyone, everyone has a, a primo negro, everyone has a black cousin, even like the blondest of people. But the truth is that, the truth is, right. is that Brazil, um, you know, much of the wealth in cities like Rio was built upon on the backs of slaves um so free labor free labor right so you can uh, build very nice houses and and, and you know um, turn land into nice houses that your grandchildren and great great grandchildren are still benefiting from and um, within that there are structures whereby right. you don't really have um much opportunity to rise from you know favelas which are kind of slums um, right. and if you go to yeah and you know obviously race is a um it's a social construct, but if you kind of, if you were to take color, you would see that um, in a place like Rio, um, the white people are living, they live in really nice areas. Like I was the only like dark skinned person in my area yes. that wasn't working in a domestic capacity. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and everyone else is, is white in Leblanc, Ipanema, like you, you, all, all there. And it's, right. there's almost this kind of, um, traffic like system of race like traffic lights so if you go to a restaurant yeah. the server will be a really beautiful mulata right uh, and then but in the kitchens they're right. really dark skinned right so it's it's still this kind right. of yeah so aye, aye, aye. same old thing same old so thing. um yeah. you know i have uh, and i guess because of because i was living in a posh neighborhood most of my friends were were and all my friends were white uh, so i'd be kind of back to a right. square one where i'd be the only like dark face in a, in a room full of white people you know at a bar i'd be the only like but then you're foreign yeah, so, you're english right so, so you're a novelty kind of and so you're different. and so you're treated slightly yeah. differently i think it's i think it would be very difficult for a right. person uh that was born to my um my background 
but a Brazilian ver version, it's quite difficult for you to break break through. I think um, it's very, yeah. and part of it is structural right. because education in Brazil is, um, if you go to school, if you go to like a, a like a private school, like a like a high school, or, or yeah. you basically you pay fees, but you get eight hours of education a day. If you are poor, you go to a social, right. you go to a, a state school, and you do four hours a day. So you're getting half the amount of education. Of course, there's a compounding factor on that, right? So wow. you so wow. and then if you want to go to university, this is the real. The really strange thing is that the public universities are the best and they are free. The private universities right. are the worst and you have to pay. But if you are a rich kid who's been to a good private school, you then go to a free public university, right? But if you're right. someone who, right. who went to a bad school and can only get into a private university, you'll be paying money for a suboptimal yeah. uh, university education. Uh, and so, so it's right. there are kind of structures in place that have happened over time that mean it's social mobility is very difficult unless you've got a really good voice yeah. or you're really good with the with the right. soccer ball. So, um, so the, these right. are kind of, if you're Pele, yeah, then you're a super you have like a different, which is a whole different kind okay. of yeah. Another thing we can go down that rabbit hole yeah. too. And so, um, so yeah, so yeah. so living in Brazil, bizarrely, was the first time I kind of woke up. Does that make sense? And I hate to use the the W word, but I think it's woke, woke up to race because I was kind of still living in this denial about race being a, a big issue um, in that people took me for right. me. Um, and so, you know, I, I would just remember just skateboarding uh, along the um, the Avenida Atlantica, which is like a, it's a, it's a really beautiful, like a uh, pedestrianized street uh, on the weekends. And then just kind of going into Ipanema from there and then looking up at the favelas in the background. And um, I realized that, you know, that everyone like around me was white and everyone living in those favelas was black. And then I, I kind of thought, and I was listening to a Stevie mm. Wonder song, Living Just for the City. And the, the lyrics are really poignant because they describe how these poor people come in to the city to work and, uh, and then they got to go and take the bus and, you know, they have to wait for hours. And so you're just not sleeping because, you know, especially with the transport system in Brazil, in Rio is so terrible that you're taking a bus um, that will take you. Maybe, I, I, mean, I, remember, I remember talking to my cable guy and it took him three hours to get to work every day, right? So you had to take, you had to wake up super early to get the Crazy. bus, and then wait, and then get the second bus, and then get another bus into Rio, uh, and then you had to wait till late to get out to get so that he wasn't stuck in traffic. And so, um, you know, everyone's gaming the the, the traffic in Rio, um, and because poor people have to travel further, they they sleep less, they see their kids less, and this kind of compounding of of disadvantage that happens. Um, and so, uh, I kind right. of just talking to my cable guy, I was like, geez, this is like terrible. Uh, and just then kind of skateboarding and just mm. kind of seeing it in really clearly that, that it's a society that is, I, I love, but it's also very divided. Um, and that was the first time I realized that it's, oh, it's not just America, it's happening, it's not just the UK, it's kind of happening around the world. There is a um, there is this intrinsic link between uh, wealth and race. And, and whilst Brazil is, you know, mm. it has managed to kind of, um, they try to kind of um, ignore race uh, and say we're all the same but like if you just take it um you know you look objectively at the colors of people you'll see like to the the darker skinned guy is, is probably like holding the door open for the for the white guy that's entering the hotel or the restaurant so yeah right that's really interesting do you think that do you think it was easier for you to acknowledge that 
it was racism because you weren't in your own country is easier That's right. to just I felt like I was, step back. Because I was not, I was neither, you know, I wasn't Brazilian. Uh, I was more objective. Right. Like, I wasn't in the, I'm not in the You're weeds. Not really exactly. Like, I'm not yeah. in the weeds. Yeah. So I was yeah. able to kind of yeah. take this, this kind of objective 30,000 foot approach to, and I didn't want to, but I was just like, oh, one day I just woke up and right. I was like, what the hell? I just realized something. Uh, I always knew, but then there's, there's the subconscious. And then finally the conscious kind of talks to it and goes, oh, you know, you have this light bulb moment, which sounds really stupid, but, but, no, but you, it's and also because you, you, your subconscious is saying, you don't want to know this. You don't want to tell the conscious mind this, you know, yeah. You, your mind doesn't want to tell your brain helpful to you. Yeah. And so, but it was so um, clear cut in Brazil, um, like no frills yeah. that you were able to see it much more clearly mm -hmm. and with less of a social safety net, yeah. it makes it even more difficult to rise. Yeah, there's none. Well, Shane, I think it's really amazing because I've been friends with you. I was just trying to put together the timeline. I think I met you around 2008. Right. We were in our early twenties um, and um, yeah. fed yeah. loose and fancy free. Acting ridiculous. Um, yeah, we were at some party where everyone had to hug everyone. It was a, a pre-COVID party. What the heck was that about? Yeah, that was very that weird. Without the vaccine. <laughs> there was a lot of hugging. There was a hugging room. Yeah, and you and and you and myself really were not that into it, I think, and that might have been one of the reasons that we started talking because everyone else there thought it was. We really may not cool. have been on drugs; may have been the reason why. No, that was it. We were not enough drugs. Not been, so, not shared it with yeah. us, so we were like, uh, I don't really yeah. want to hug this person I don't know, and I don't yeah, want that person uh, touching me. Yeah, it was. So, a, yeah, it was. It was kind <laughs> of yeah, mid mid two thousand in New York. Things were a little bit crazy. I was like, oh, you seem like a sane person. I wanted to, I wasn't, you. but yeah. you, but anyway, you kind of stuck with me. <laughs> Neither was I. Yeah. Neither was I. But then I kept running into you everywhere and we were the only black people yeah, we, in the place. We can pass for brother and sister, let's be realistic. So, yeah. yeah. That was funny. Yeah. So then you started yeah. calling me sis. <laughs> Never had a sis until you. So, yeah, yeah. So. People were like... You guys are brother and sister? Yes. I was brought up, I was orphaned <laughs> and sent, I was was orphaned and sent to London. Can <laughs> you say she has a yeah. fake American accent? Or, or a Pygmalion experiment across borders. So, but we, we both turned out okay. So. <laughs> we did all right. It was okay. Yeah, but what was really funny is we were always pretty much, you know, among the only people of color, most places we were, Soho House or wherever we got around to. And, but we were really, we spent a lot of time together and talked about all kinds of stuff. I never talked about race with anybody race. because it's, it was Me a given, either. it yeah, was like a baseline that you just kind of accept that in life yeah. there's going to be uh, a bit of racism. And so you just, it's almost a given. So we, we didn't have to talk about it. We also, I think we also both felt like, hey, you know, given the way things are, we're doing pretty well. So uh, we got that's right. To we about. Um, we and and also think it's it's um, massively uncomfortable. I, I, I my perception was it'd be very uncomfortable mm -hmm. to talk about race with uh, with white people, and and yeah. and so you, I'm sure you felt the same. And so never, I, I never yeah, spoke about never, race with yeah. anybody or what I go through mm -mm. on a daily basis. Um, I, I've done a lot of mentoring. 
yeah. and I haven't I haven't had yeah, it as do. a kind of like a formal mentorship program but I've taken you know young yeah. people under my wing uh, and I've said you know don't do this do that you know trying to just help them to to navigate right. a, a world that is very difficult especially if you're a person of color or a woman uh, and so I've, I've tried to do that yeah. and um you know um, yeah, you do. And also kind of um, you know, getting friends who are CEOs to commit to hiring. You know, I, I finally, some advice I gave to, to a, young, a young black man recently was like, strike whilst the iron's hot. And right now the iron is hot. Yeah, right was, now. Like, What's your advice? Right like, now. Strike while the iron's <laughs> hot. That was my advice to him. Apply for yeah, whatever you want to get you have right good, now. You currently have yeah. goodwill. <laughs> I, I approached friends who were CEOs yeah. of companies and said, you, you know, you how many black people do you have? Uh, well, many. well, then you need to start hiring yeah. some. And I said, you know, either as interns, I yeah. said, it's, it's not as hard as you think, um, you know, and, and just specifically like target black people. I know that you actually are a humble person. And, but I just want to say that that's an amazing thing that you're doing and you should really enjoy knowing that you're doing something. Thank you. Yeah. I, I guess I didn't really think, I just kind of do it. Um, but I think, um, it's going to sound terrible, but shame is quite powerful in both in both directions. You know, I've discovered over the years that shame I felt. You, you can also, you know, how many black people have you hired? Oh, none. Oh, <laughs> something yeah. useful, something very useful that came out of that experience with that yeah, not yeah, so great boss, back. right? Like, okay, yeah, just turn it around. It's, it's correct, yeah. and, and and you know, sadly, you know, um, George Floyd's murder was not in vain you know I think there's going to be a lot more social mobility yeah. uh, and I, I just think it's really important that people mm. give black people a chance uh, I think I don't think yeah. people do so because humans are risk averse and oh we don't you know maybe his grades aren't as good but the truth is like anyone that is if, if you could if you're black and you made it into the interview room different this is what I, I always felt people never understood. Like that I got into the interview room means I must be as good or if not better than the white candidate that you're also gonna you're also going to, to interview because I, I had to deal with you know unconscious bias just to get just to get to your office. I had to, you know, I had to make sure I walked down, walk down the street and not the, get arrested. The road to like yeah. not intimidate somebody. I was on the subway. I had to kind of like, you know, make sure I wasn't invading their personal space too much. I had to maybe, you know, I was buying a coffee and I, I felt, you know, I, I felt I made someone standing next to me uncomfortable. Um, I walked into the building and they weren't sure if I was looking for a job uh, as a messenger, the messenger or, yeah. or so, so coming for an interview. I didn't even yeah. realize, by the way. But then, and you know, I'm not gonna. And humans have unconscious bias for a reason. So it's it's just it's just you know it's hardwired to keep us alive. So I, I don't, I'm not gonna fault yeah. humans for that. But we live in a society that is so has advanced so much more quickly than our brains have that we need to set rules yeah. whereby we can we can check. You know, we can you know, we can we have some checks and balances on our natural urges to be potentially oh, um, you know discriminatory. Um, you know, racist or sexist, and right, yeah, to exclude exclude yeah, anyone who's yeah, different. In the same way that basically. people go, yeah. you, know, you know, twenty years ago, oh, women can't do the job of men in an investment bank. It's like, well, why not? Right. Like, uh, what's stopping a woman from being as good at their job as a man? Like, why can't a woman manage money better than a man? So, um, but they've they came they they you know they, they've obviously hit their heads on the glass ceiling as much as you know in the past, uh, in, and they're doing much better. And but there's still a long way to go for black people and particularly black women if you want to go into so so yeah. yeah no that's true that's true but I think for whatever it's worth I think that what you've done is really amazing with your own life and um and I didn't even know 
I didn't know what background you came from or anything. I, I don't think I really care. I don't care. But I mean, that's why I didn't know because I never asked you because like, I don't care. But um, it's, it's, it's really interesting to learn about people you've been friends with for a really long time um, to find out more about what makes them who they are. And um, thank you for taking the time. Thank you. It's been a great experience. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you all for joining the conversation today. Remember, stay present and share your story. Stories bring us together and together we all win. Stories from the Brink is produced by Billy Robinson, hosted by me, Maya Brown, music by Octopus Kid. Thank you.